It is The Rock Show on GTFM. Following the demise of Nirvana, former drummer from that band, Dave Grohl, formed the Foo Fighters in 1994, so named after the World War II nickname for UFOs and area phenomena. Over their 25-plus year career, the Foo Fighters have released 10 albums, won 12 Grammy Awards, including Best Rock Album four times, and sold over 35 million albums worldwide. They have become one of the biggest rock bands in the world, and in the UK have had 21 top 40 hit singles and five number one UK albums, headlined the likes of Reading, Leeds, the Isle of Wight and Glastonbury Festivals. Their new album, Medicine at Midnight, released last month, has gone to number one in 14 countries, including the UK and the US of A. And in tonight's special interview, Dave Grohl, alongside Rami Jaffe, talks about the new record and how he calls it their party album. I thought that this record should be kind of an up, groove-oriented party album, mostly because we had never done that before. And this being our 10th album, and 2020 was our 25th anniversary, I thought, you know, looking back on everything we'd done, we'd done like really like loud, fast, noisy, sort of heavy punk rock kind of stuff. We'd done like really gentle, orchestrated, acoustic stuff. And then kind of everything in between, like three or four minute long, mid-tempo, sugar-sweet pop rock songs, stuff like that. But we had never really focused on making something that was kind of like groovy. But, you know, I think all of us have grown up listening to rock bands that have albums that you can dance to. And, you know, whether it's David Bowie records or, you know, even stuff, Sly and the Family Stone sort of stuff or Motown sort of stuff. You know, those are all bands playing music that you can dance to. I had never imagined us doing something like that. But I guess after being in the band for so long, um, you know, you want to do stuff that you haven't done before. And um, and in a weird way, it all of these songs came really naturally to us. I, I think that that's maybe the key to longevity is just trying to do things that make it so that you're still having fun and you're challenging yourself and, you know, um, just doing something that you haven't necessarily done before. We didn't really write the album before we started making it. We went into the studio and kind of wrote it while we were recording it. So the songs were really kind of built from the ground up. And we did things that we wouldn't necessarily have done before. So someone would do a guitar part jokingly, everyone would laugh, and then we'd say, well, we got to keep it. So it was more about just kind of having fun, I guess. I mean, or doing something that would take us by surprise. I mean, also, you know, we put a lot of thought into what we're doing, but I hate to spend too much time on anything because it kills the vibe. And so usually it's those little moments that if you actually get that little moment, you should probably keep it because of the way it felt first time you heard it so there was a lot of that we had a little jam room uh in the guest house of the house and we would go in for as little as five or as many as 20 minutes and work on a song just enough to kind of sort of get to know it and then go okay let's go do it 
Yeah, we've done pre-production pretty much on every record, which kind of gives you a, a starting point to follow through. But on this record, it was just bring it, just whatever you feel right there. First song on the record was actually the first song we recorded. I remember after we recorded Making a Fire, I was like, oh, yes, we are onto some shit that we've never done before. First of all, that house where we recorded it had the best drum sounds. Well, that song, Making a Fire, started with just the riff. It was such a weird riff, I had to kind of try to find a melody. That was the hardest part with that song. I had all these different ideas. Hey! Uh, yeah, remember, uh, that, there was that uh, other uh, one. Uh, hey! Yeah. I mean, that was down on it. Like, that was, whoa, it's done. Yeah. Just one day, it's like, no, it's nothing like that. Sometimes when I go up to the mic when we're saying it, that's the first thing that comes out. I go, hey! I always say it's kind of like the wheels in a clock. So there's like a big one that's kind of going like slow like this. And there's another one to the side that's like doing this. Then And like when they're all working together, it makes it tick. And so um, if you turn to Taylor and ask him a question about an arrangement or an ending or whatever, he's going to suggest something that's based on his love of Queen or the police or Genesis or whatever. Um, if you were to go to Nate, Nate would do something that was a little bit more esoteric or weird and angular. I don't know, it just kind of works. Bowie's Let's Dance kept coming up. I don't know who was saying it, you or Taylor, but um, that kind of feeling of almost 80s dance, you know, funky kind of record. And having Greg on board, which he goes nuts with like the keyboards and the synths. So um, I yeah. think maybe that's kind of took a little turn. Greg Kirsten is without a doubt, the most talented musician I've ever met in my entire life. It's where he has a, a deep understanding of music and an instrument, more so than like anybody I know. And he's a multi-instrumentalist. But again, he's one of those guys that like he was playing jazz when he was a kid, jazz piano, and then he got into punk rock, then he got into in reggae, and then he got into Brazilian music, and then he got into electronic music, and he's just like, he's he'll just like dive into something, deconstruct it, understand it, move on to the next thing without it being too complicated. Yeah, his taste is spot on. Uh, usually with a jazzer, someone who's just over-talented and can play anything, all kinds of styles of music, it gets a little, you know, iffy when it's like, what does this song need, you know, in a simple way? And he always just nails it. You're like, how did he just do that? But it's fun because, you know, you feel safe when you're working with them. I don't second guess anything that Greg does, ever. I just go, okay. And, um, and he's a friend, and that's, you know, that's, to, to me, that's kind of the most important thing in our world, is that we, like, keep it as unprofessional as we possibly can. But yes, Greg Kirsten is a mother badass. I mean, do you remember when we had these conversations beforehand that was like, okay, let's go in there, let's not play by the rules that we always had. Like, it has to be this or it has to be that. And no pre-production? Yeah, we didn't not rehearse at the all. We just went in and kind of built them. If we want to use a drum loop, use a drum loop. Just put whatever the song needs on the song. Yeah. I remember thinking that. I remember thinking we did Making a Fire, 
and we were super psyched. And then we started recording something else that kind of no sounded song. like a Foo Fighters song. Yeah, no, so like a normal We just song. went right back into sounding like the Foo Fighters. It might not. It might have even been something that's not on the album. It right? is. It was one of those. It sounds like something we would do. Like remember the feeling you would get after doing Shame Shame or Medicine at Midnight or Making a Fire. One of those songs where you're just like, that's us. That song Shame Shame. The drum beat was super easy. Just followed the riff. Sounds like a Missy Elliott beat. I had this other song that I was demoing that had this weird snapping thing. That another song, but that snapping thing worked on the Shame Shame yeah. beat. And so when um, Taylor did the drums for Shame Shame in the stairwell, just a kick and a snare and a hi-hat at the top of the stairs, who squeezed in this little landing, sounded so good. That's kind of one of my favorite sounds we've ever had on the record. But yeah, that whole thing came together in like one afternoon, Shame Shame. The Shame Shame music video, that idea came from a dream that I had when I was like 14 or 15 years old. I have, cra I have crazy dreams and I have my whole life and I remember my crazy dreams. And that was one of the dreams where I was standing at the bottom of this hill and there was a coffin on fire at the top of the hill. And I go running up to the coffin and I went to open it, but I was burning my hands and I was like, and I, my entire life I was basically trying to like unravel that shit. I don't know what I was, I considered myself like a happy kid. And so when we did the song, I was listening to the lyrics and I just thought like, oh my God, this could, I could take that dream idea. And so um, we have another friend, Paula Kadaki, who's a famous fashion photographer, like world renowned. So I explained the idea to her and we thought about having um, another person in the video that sort of represented shame. It's like climbing all over you and trying to pull you down and dragging you and trying to seduce you. <clears throat> There's an actress named Sofia Butella who became famous dancing. But visually, she's incredibly beautiful and has this really striking, powerful presence about her. I was like, I think it should be her. I'd never met her before. I'd seen her in movies and stuff. I'm like, she's, that's, it should be her. We called her and she was into it. You know, she, I, she really made the video. She and Paula really turned it into something that was way more deep and dark and cinematic than anything we'd ever done. So that was kind of a game changer. Waiting on a War was a song that we recorded maybe halfway through the making of the album. I hadn't written it for the album. I wrote it while we were making the record. And the reason why I wrote it was because, again, when I was young, I was terrified that there was going to be a war. I grew up in Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C., so I always thought, okay, if, there's, if there were to be a war, we were going to be the first people to get it, because we were like five miles from the Pentagon, you know? Like, we're the first to go. So I would have these dreams when I was a kid, like missiles were going up off, over my backyard, and I know I thought I had a just happy childhood. But while we were making the record, one day I was taking my daughter Harper to school, she's 11 years old, and um, she said, Daddy, are we, are, is there going to be a war? I was like, what? What made you say that? And I guess she'd seen something on the news. And I said, no, 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 there's not going to be a war, don't worry. But then I realized, like, she's, like, living through the same anxiety I had when I was a kid. What a drag! Like, really, does every generation, when you're that young, think, like, oh, well, we're just going to die in a fucking war? And um, it kind of broke my heart. I'm like, oh, no, my happy little kid is afraid of that? So I wrote the song in, like, a day or two. I came to the studio, and we banged it out super fast. First of all, this album was made pre-pandemic. 
right? We started making the record over a year ago. And we were like, 2020 is going to be a party, dude. We're going to like hit the road. We're going to rule the world. World tour. We're going to 25th anniversary. Like, the stadiums. It's going to be amazing. Um, so all the lyrics and everything and the artwork, the whole deal was done before the world shut down. I just like the idea. I liked the term medicine at midnight. One, because medicine is something that kind of represents like some sort of healing. And midnight, you know, it seems like it's the first and last hour of every day. But it also, like, it just seemed, I don't know, something about it that seemed like desperate or something. You take medicine at midnight? So, so there's something I, that I liked about it, you know. In today's world, it can be maybe taken out of context. But I wanted to call the album Love Dies Young at one point. <laughs> I'm glad we didn't do that. In March, when things started getting shut down, we decided to hold everything and just wait. And we would talk about it. We would wait. And then after a month, say, okay, is it time? No, it's not time yet. Okay. And we would wait. Okay, is it time? Well, remember at first we thought, well, we'll wait till the fall. Yeah. We'll just wait till this whole thing blows over. And then once, you know, you start realizing like, okay, why do we make music? I mean, it's fun to do. Do we just make it so that we can go on tour? Like, do we just make records so that we can do that thing again where we go away for a year and a half and run around with instruments? Or do we do it because like, we actually like making records? And um, no matter whether we're playing it on the stage or in a tiny room or not playing it at all, you know. Also, like, you know, making albums, it's, it really is all about capturing a, a snapshot of a specific time or place or sound or whatever it is. So if too much time goes by, I don't know. There's, I started getting worried, like, I'm not even going to like this King album if it comes out in three years. But then also, if you make the music to be heard, just let it, people hear it. I'm really excited to play Shame Shame live, which we've been doing. Um, I'm also very excited to play No Son of Mine live. I'm excited to open the show with No Son of Mine. I'm also excited to play Waiting on War Life. Because I would imagine if people like it, they'll sing it too. And there's nothing like a bunch of people singing along to the song. And I think that's going to happen when... <laughs> yeah, give us the date. It happens. It happens. <laughs> yeah. I'm, you know, I'm saying fall. Fall 2021. Oh, no summer. Yeah, thank you, yes please. I, I'm excited. I always like playing it, whatever, any of the new songs. And I like watching you pick the ones that work. <laughs> I always like, because we'll do some songs and I'll be like, oh my God, why aren't we doing this? It's so fun to play. And Dave's like, well, they don't like it. They don't, they don't care. So what's the point? I'm like, oh. But, but I really like playing it. Like, yeah, but they don't care. And okay. it's, a, it's an interesting thing. And it's not always the ones I think it is. The fact that the album is nine songs and 37 minutes or whatever it is, that was very intentional. We've made long records before. We've done the double album. We've made 13 song albums. We've had al songs with six minute long songs, just like that. I really wanted it to be just short and sweet. 
But more, more than just that, we recorded other songs. If one of those other songs really seemed like it fit on the record, it would have gone on the record. You know, I've always loved the connection that we have with the audience. And it's always been a priority of mine. Like from the minute you come out on stage, uh, you, I want to engage the audience and let them know like, yeah, we're here for two and a half hours, you know? I mean, the, ages ago we wrote a song for our second record that the tempo of the song was determined by jumping. Because that you go play European festivals and people like to go boing, 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 boing. And someone was like, what should the tempo be? And I, I just got up and started jumping like this. I was like, it should be that. You know, a song like Love Dies Young, the last song on the record. Um, that's the type of song that it's got that same tempo. And that will happen when we play it. So that's why I would like to put that on the record. And you know, the more songs over the years that you get, that you write and record and put on record, the more of those that you have as time goes on, the longer your show gets. I mean, honestly, like right now we go out and we play for two and a half hours and there's 25 songs or whatever it is. People know pretty much every song. You know, 18 out of those 25 songs were singles. So we make a record and there, now there's five more songs that everybody knows every word to and they bounce around. Now it's 29 songs. And you go see the show and you're like, oh my God, those people just bounced around for three hours? Like, I want to be that band. No son of mine will ever do the work of the Foo Fighters' 10th studio album, Medicine at Midnight, was released last month and went to number one in 14 countries. From the new album, we played you Making a Fire, Shame, Shame, Waiting on a War, and No Son of Mine, all from the new album. 